Well, we just finished a time of prayer, corporate prayer. Um, but let me ask you, what, what does your prayer life look like? What does it look like on a, a regular basis, day to day, week to week? Because, you know, for many of us, uh, we, we often struggle with prayer. And, and why? why? Why do we struggle with prayer? What, what are some of the, the things that keep us from praying? Even when we know deep down we, we should, maybe even want to pray. Well, I know for some they say, hey, this is it's just kind of boring. Uh, others uh, maybe think, you know, it just I, I really don't see it make a difference. It doesn't seem to do any good. Uh, I've talked to, to folks before who might say, I, I, I just don't think I'm really any good at praying. I don't know, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. Well, the good news for us is that Jesus teaches us how to pray, which means that it's something that's got to be learned. It's something we learn over time and something that our Lord continually teaches us as we grow in him. In fact, did you know that the only time in the Bible that the disciples ever ask Jesus to teach them something is when they ask him to teach them to pray. That's the one thing, the one time that they ask Jesus to teach them something. Which tells us that even they weren't so sure about prayer. Even they struggled with it. And so they simply asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And how did Jesus respond? Well, he responded with what we now know as the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer. And it's found... Uh, twice in the New Testament. Uh, this morning we're going to look at that prayer as it's found in Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew chapter 6, uh, specifically verses 9 to 13. And in this version of the Lord's Prayer, it is a mere 57 words, that's all, 57 words in the original language. A very simple outline to follow. There's an opening address followed by six succinct petitions. And that's it. Now, it's an excellent form prayer for sure. In fact, we used it as a form prayer within our own liturgy uh, last Sunday for worship. But more than that, it is an excellent pattern for prayer. That's right, a pattern for our own prayer. So that as we become more and more familiar with, with the content of this prayer, uh, with, with, its, with its meaning. Uh, the main points, then that transforms our day-to-day prayers, whether uh, all at once, maybe once in the morning or, or throughout the day, that our prayers begin to more and more reflect the Lord's Prayer, the priorities of the Lord's Prayer, and thus the priorities of our Lord. And so before we go any further, let's pray. Well, we come to you uh, this morning, Lord Jesus, and we ask, we ask that by the power of your spirit, uh, through your word, that we, as your disciples, we look to you and ask now, Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. Well, now hear the word of God. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, Beginning with verse 9, Jesus says to his disciples and to us, Pray then like this. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And this is God's life-giving word. Well, Jesus says, when you pray, verse 9, pray then like this. Pray then like this, in this way, according to these priorities. So whether or not you use these exact words, pray along these lines. And then we're introduced to the Lord's Prayer. In the prayer itself, it's like a, it's like a pearl necklace. Okay, With each part of the prayer, an individual pearl. A pearl of great price. Uh, each part of this prayer worthy to be held on its own, to uh, to, be, to be viewed, to, uh, to be enjoyed, to be appreciated. Today, however, uh, rather than look at each individual pearl, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at the entire strand of pearls and see how they all fit together. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at the pattern of prayer, or what we might call the four movements of prayer. The four movements of prayer that Jesus gives to us here. Adoration, alignment, asking, adhering. Adoration, alignment, asking, adhering. Now these are are four headings that I discovered years ago. I found them uh, very helpful through my past study of the prayer. Helpful and practical uh, as we seek to engage our God and be a part of his redemptive work through prayer. And so let's get started. And first, we adore. Uh, We begin with adoration of God, of who God is. We pray, verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Adoration of our Heavenly Father, that's where we start. Taking delight in, being amazed by, seeing and savoring Him. Jesus shows us from the get-go that prayer is fundamentally about relationship. It's fundamentally about relationship with God. Okay, it's not primarily about getting something. Rather, it's about knowing someone. It's fundamental to prayer. It's about knowing someone, which means it's relational. And so Jesus' radical relational invitation to us is to join him in addressing God as Father. And that means that it's an invitation to both awe and intimacy. When we pray with Jesus, we pray to our Heavenly Father who loves us as his children with an undying love. As one scholar notes... We are not just mere servants of the Master. We are children loved by a Father. In fact, the first word of the prayer is actually Father. 
In English, the first word is our, but in the original language, the first word is father. Pater in Greek, Abba in Aramaic, Daddy in English. Jesus teaches us to address the almighty, holy, sovereign God of the universe as Father. Our Father. In heaven. In heaven is a way of saying on the throne. And now we have access to the throne room. To the throne of the universe The throne of grace. Now we might be so used to praying this, to addressing God in this way, that we miss how profound this is. I mean, there are many other human beings that we don't call personal titles, personal addresses. But this is the God of the entire universe. This is the one who created all things. Seen and unseen, the smallest of molecules, the far reaches of the galaxy, everything. And this God invites us to call him Abba, Father, Daddy. Now, some have have objected, and and, and you may have have heard this, some have have objected to Abba being translated as Daddy, uh, arguing uh, that that it runs the risk of irreverence. But friends, when my kids call me daddy, there's no lack of respect. There's no irreverence in that, not at all. But rather, what it reflects is it reflects both, both an intimacy and a respect because the two are not mutually exclusive. Now, we may be uncomfortable uh, with intimacy. That, 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 that's hard for a lot of folks, and I think that that's much of what's behind Uh, The objection. But it's what we were created for. And it's how we are called and invited not only to address our God, but to actually know our God as Father. And so again, this is Jesus' radical invitation to us. An invitation to both awe and intimacy before God Almighty. And what's the Father like? Well, Jesus himself says profoundly in John 14, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And so it's as if Jesus is saying, The Father is just like me. So come to me. Come to me and get to know what the Father is like. And so we see that the very first thing that we do in prayer, the very first movement, is that we go after him. We go after the God who has already come after us in Jesus. And as we go after him, we praise him. We praise his name. We pray, your name be hallowed. Your name be hallowed. Your name be made known, be revered, be celebrated. You, Heavenly Father, are infinite, transcendent, holy. Oh, Father, would you reveal yourself, reveal who you are. Let me see you more. Make yourself known to me, to my family and friends, to your church, and throughout the world. And so what we do is we marvel 
We marvel at God's character and creativity, his beauty and majesty, his power and approachability, his love, mercy, and grace. So Jesus teaches us that prayer begins with adoration, adoring our heavenly Father, the Almighty God, the King of creation. And so next, Jesus teaches us to align our hearts with the Father's heart. And so we move from adoration to alignment. And we pray, verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And so here we are aligning our hearts to God's heart. And you might think of when you have the wheels of your, your car aligned. Uh, so, so that you're, you're headed, you're traveling in the right direction. Well, that's what this part of the prayer does for our hearts. It aligns them so that in our prayer, in our relating to God, in our relating to others, we are headed in the right direction. Because you see, when you boil it down, prayer, it's really our most basic God-directed act. It's simply conversation with God. A conversation about what's on our hearts and about what's on His heart. And ultimately, aligning our hearts with His. Not the other way around. Some of you will know the name of a famous missionary E. Stanley Jones, and he puts it this way. If I throw out an anchor from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to myself or do I pull myself to the shore? Prayer is not pulling God to my will, but the aligning of my will to his. And as our hearts are aligned to God's heart, our trust in Him grows. As our hearts are aligned, our trust in Him grows. Which also means that this is an appropriate part of the prayer, an appropriate movement of the prayer for confession. Uh, Confessing my struggle to trust Him. Uh, Confessing my proclivity to be be self-absorbed, to want it my way right away. Uh, my, my tendency to pray, my kingdom come, my will be done, rather than God's. And note this, this phrase, that we are praying, we're praying on earth as it is in heaven. You might envision that in this prayer we are invited to reach up into heaven and to pray heaven to earth, to bring the reality of all that is good and perfect about heaven, praying that into the world as we know it today. Heavenly Father, reveal who you are on earth as it is in heaven. Set the world right here on earth as it is in heaven. And fulfill your good pleasures, what's best on earth, Lord, on earth as it is in heaven. Abba, Father, not my will, but yours. Yours be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In and through my own life, in and through the the life of your church, in and through the lives of those that you are calling to yourself 
around the world, on earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus teaches us that prayer begins with adoration of our Heavenly Father, and then it picks up speed, it gains momentum through the alignment of our hearts with His. And so now that we are aligned, now that we are headed in the right direction, now we are ready to ask. We're now ready to, to ask for God's provision for our needs. And that's the third movement of prayer, asking. And so we pray, verses 11 to 13, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have in the same way that we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, you, you may have noticed that we've actually been asking already. We have. We've been asking to know God and, and to see His glory. Uh, but now we're asking specifically for us and for our needs. We're now asking with these three final petitions, these three requests, asking for daily sustenance, relational repair, and then God's uh, protection and deliverance. And I want you to note, because it's very easy for us in our individualized Western society, to pray just my needs. But notice that we are asking for the needs of others. As Jesus teaches us, it's give us, forgive us, lead and deliver us. Yes, individually, but also collectively, corporately, together as God's people. And note too that everything is actually a daily need. All these requests are actually needs that we have every day. We need, God provides Every moment of every day. And so you might think of it this way. Uh, when you were born, uh, when, the, when the Griffith's granddaughter was born on Wednesday, she took her very first breath. Okay, now will she ever stop needing oxygen? No, of course not. And will you ever stop needing oxygen? No, none of us will. Now, you, you may think, well, I can hold my breath. Okay, so how long can you hold your breath? A minute? Maybe two minutes? I guarantee you can't hold it for the rest of the sermon. And what I want to get at is that we constantly need to breathe. You must breathe because you are dependent on oxygen each and every day. And so in the same way, we were created to pray because we are dependent on God each and every day. Daily dependence. That's how life works. That's what prayer is about. Keeping us dependent, in line, living through our God. But it's easy for us to be fooled. It's easy for us to be fooled in our, our Western world where we are so used to, to buying groceries, the gift of being able to buy groceries weekly. And yet you need him daily. And he provides for us daily. Daily physical sustenance. Daily relational care. Daily spiritual rescue. And so here Jesus is teaching us to ask according to these last three petitions. Father, provide 
provide for our daily sustenance. Father, continually restore our fellowship with you as we continually learn to restore fellowship with one another. And Father, protect us from ourselves, our sinful ways, and deliver us from the wiles of the evil one that so easily entangle us. And remember that as we're asking, we are always asking as beloved children, always asking to a loving Father who is both willing and able to provide exactly what we need exactly when we need it. And what we most need, more than anything else, is to grow in grace and godliness, to become more and more like Jesus. In other words, to be people who adhere to the gospel. That's what we need. So the pattern of prayer, the four movements of prayer, Adoration, alignment, asking, and finally, adhering. Adhering. And we adhere to the gospel by living out, by living out the realities of the very things that we have just prayed. For when Jesus finishes this prayer, he immediately says this, verses 14 and 15. Jesus says, If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I mean, it's a little startling to come to the end of that beautiful prayer and, and, and to go, why, why in the world would Jesus make such a jarring statement? Well, why? It's because forgiveness and reconciliation are at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of what Jesus is teaching us to pray, at the heart of how how God wants us to relate to him and to relate to one another. What Jesus is getting at is that if we refuse to forgive others, then we ourselves are not truly resting in his forgiveness of us. We're not living out, we're not living out of, the gospel. In other words, if we aren't doing our part to move toward others in reconciliation where there is need of that, then we aren't truly living out the, the reconciliation that Jesus won for us on the cross. And I know you know this, but, but friends, the, the, the Christian life is, is not just about how we relate to God, but also about how we relate to one another. And what Jesus is getting at at the the very end as he wraps up teaching his disciples, teaching us this prayer, is that we must pursue relational repair wherever there has been relational rupture. The gospel enables, empowers us to be able to do that, to be able to engage the hard stuff with others by faith. Rather than avoiding or, or hurting in fear. Because that's the way of the world, but the gospel gives us a new way to go with him, to be empowered by him, and to see him at work. That's what it means to live out what we're praying. 
That's what it looks like to adhere to the gospel. You know, it's like flies stuck to fly paper. I don't know if they still sell that stuff, but it's you hang the, the nasty fly paper, sticky, bright colored, and the flies just stick to it. Well, that's a picture of how we need to stick to the gospel, how we need to adhere to the gospel. It's not gross for us, though. It's good for us. Or maybe even better, David Letterman. So have you, have you ever seen the Velcro wall? I mean, I'm curious. Anybody ever seen the Velcro wall? Okay, a few of you. The rest of you have an assignment when you get home today. Go on YouTube. If you take Sundays off, do it tomorrow morning. Go to YouTube, type in Velcro wall, and this will come up. Now, this is, this is a popular event at parties uh, today, but, I, but I'm pretty sure that it originated uh, with Letterman probably like 35 years ago or something like that. But basically, the, the, what you'll see, and I showed it to my kids yesterday because it's a lot of fun, but David Letterman is wearing a, a, a suit, but it's, the suit is made out of one side of the Velcro. And then there's a wall a short distance away that's covered with the other side of Velcro, and in between is a small trampoline. And so he gets just a small running start, and then takes a big jump as high as he can, and then whoosh, spread eagle. He sticks way up on this Velcro wall. He's just hanging there. And friends, that's what we want to do with the gospel. Wearing it, being clothed in Christ's righteousness, and then jumping through faith, jumping into our relationship with God, jumping into our relationship with others. Stuck to it, stuck to this good news, adhering to and really through God's power and grace. Knowing that you are forgiven and accepted in Christ, resting in your restored relationship with God, and extending that same mercy and grace to those around you, repairing relationship with others just as God has repaired relationship with us. And the only way to do that is to continually cling to the cross of Jesus. To continually depend on Jesus and his all-sufficient grace. That's adhering to the gospel. And that's what Jesus wants for us here. And so Jesus teaches us to pray. The four movements of prayer. Adoring, aligning, asking, adhering. Now I want to be clear, this is it's not a, a checklist. These aren't four steps to a better prayer life. Okay, This isn't about a, a mechanical technique. Not at all. But rather it's the rhythm, the flow of our living in relationship with, our engaging God throughout your day, throughout your week. Sometimes, that, 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 again, that's all at once in, in a time of prayer. Other times, it's different movements of the prayer at different parts of the day. But what we see here, brothers and sisters, it is, it is in this way. It is in this way that we learn to live in daily dependence on Jesus together as we walk with him. And not only that, but as we also participate in his redemptive work both in and through our lives. 
That's the invitation here. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Well, our loving Father in heaven, seated on the throne, Almighty God, Abba, Daddy. We ask now, ask that you would reveal who you are. We want to see you more clearly. Oh Lord, would you set the world right? Do what is best. Oh, we pray, as it is in heaven, so be it on earth. And provide. Provide for our daily needs. Continually restore our fellowship with you as we continually learn to restore fellowship with one another. Protect us from ourselves. Deliver us from the wiles of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, both now and forever. Amen.